I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Welcome back to the Align Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. And in today's episode, I chatted with Dr. Kirk Parsley. He is a pretty high-achieving fella. He's a medical doctor, Navy SEAL, leading sleep researcher, writer, handsome devil. All sorts of great things happening on his end of the world. Um, In today's conversation... We got into all sorts of really fairly abstract conversation beyond the standard norm interview that he does in relation to how do you sleep better and why is it important? Started talking about torture and started talking about enslavement and corporations and um, brainwashing and how to effectively sleep better as well. We made sure to, to touch on that as well. You know, school is the beginning of the brainwashing system in a lot of other fashions, right? And just sort of the American um, ideal of, you know, and, and it's really all formed sort of during the industrial era where, you know, people were factory workers and you went in and you, you did whatever you were supposed to do or you know, you were a secretary or whatever and you just had your one old job, but, you know, you were efficient and you were on time and, you, you know, and you went through school and you learned how to be like a little social robot and be compliant with the system. Really, really fun conversation. Thanks so much, Doc, for coming on. Please, and thank you. Check out the website, aligntherapy.com, A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you will find hundreds of free videos on self-care and functional movement. You will find the self-care kit, which is a hollow foam roller. Screw on lids. Inside, there's two different size myofascial release balls, heavy-duty elastic band, and a door anchor, so you can adjust the height of that little mofo. And decompress those joints. Keep that tissue slippery, slatty, sexy, the way it's supposed to. And uh, por favor, bookmark the Amazon link on the website. Anytime you make a purchase on Amazon, a little percentage of that, 5 to 9% or something like that, gets kicked back to the podcast, podcast, a.k.a. me. Um, thank you so much for that. Appreciate it. And what else do we have on this thing? So I bought a house recently in the last like few weeks and very very interesting all of these interesting metaphors that are coming about for me as i am remodeling the interior of that thing so much more work than you ever possibly would think it would be (laughs) and uh it's a lesson i could say that i've i've gotten from that guy is witnessing the value of getting jobs done, not just blowing up and saying, oh, I wanna do a million different things in the house and then kind of, sort of, maybe possibly a little bit doing some of them and then just leaving them halfway done for a long, long time. Focusing your energy on individual products that are that are actually achievable and nailing them before moving on to the next is something that um, is just becoming so obviously apparent in this mission and uh, hopefully maybe possibly some people out there can take some 
take a little bit of, uh, get something out of my mistakes of <laughs> biting off more than I thought I was going to be chewing on. Anyway, um, thank you, thank you, thank you. Please leave reviews on iTunes. And, uh, honest to God, I cry from time to time when someone has especially heartfelt, moving review on there. And, uh, not guaranteed that I will cry, but it's happened more than, more than twice. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. Here we go! Back to the dark parsley! Bam! Pow! Poo! Cow! podcast you look good man you look healthy you look well slept oh yeah i, I did sleep well well yeah. uh, we're we're already recording i'm sure i'm not going to use any of this stuff for for the actual thing but i just record i don't okay. have like a standard like welcome to the that's i find yeah. that i find that weird uh, but is there anything in particular you'd like to get into during conversation no man um i'll, I'll tell you honestly i, I usually uh, do pretty good research on people's uh, podcasts and stuff before i go on them i haven't done that with yours at all so if you could tell me a little bit uh, <laughs> if you could tell me about your 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 audience and your yeah. your uh you know your i guess sort of the the you know thematic intent of your thing or you know, yeah, yeah. your common math your core messaging and all that so sure. you know, i'll just sort of make sure that i'm incorporating that stuff i can spend this shit a million ways right. since i've been talking about it for 10 years i mean yeah i'd have to be a moron to not be able to do that by now right so my kind of approach with things is obvious well maybe, maybe it's not obvious i guess um it's talking to world's leaders in psychology nutrition movement and looking at health as bigger kind of the way from my perspective the way that you perceive it in a sense you know looking at it as it's not just exercise it's not just nutrition it's not just relationships all of that is impacting it's not just your endocrine right. system you know it's like that is directly connected to everything else and so with talking to people it's like Maybe your finances is actually what's causing that cortisol thing, you know, which yeah. is actually causing you to hold on to that fat, which is actually causing you to be a dickhead and then creating this feedback loop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and so it's all of it. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I always tell people, I, I, I think the concept gets lost all the time that we, uh, we break the body down into systems as, a, as an efficient and organized way to study them. Right. It has nothing to do with the way the body functions. The body doesn't know it has these systems that we've created and it doesn't know that it, uh, life has these partitions that we've created. Yeah. You know, like the body is an organism, like everything matters, everything impacts everything else. And you can't just say, oh, well, that's just your endocrine system or bullshit. Like it's everything, like every your endocrine system affects everything. Everything affects your endocrine system. Same thing with your nervous system, your GI system, your musculoskeletal. Yeah, your you know neurocognitive processing, your mood, all the like everything matters. So, yeah. um, you know, people have to people have to get out of that academic way, that academic approach towards health, and say, oh well, you know, this is a cortisol issue. It's like, what the fuck does that mean, right? right. It's like, okay, cortisol is a number that's aberrant, and we're going to work on that. But you know, let's talk about your life. Let's talk about everything in your life. Sure. Let's talk about. As you say, let's talk about your financial situation. Let's talk about your relationships. Let's talk about your stress. Let's talk about your sleep. Let's talk about your nutrition. Let's talk about, you know, your exercise program. Are you overtraining? Are you undertraining? How, you know, what do you do afterwards? Uh, you know, I, 
you know, uh, do you do crystal meth on the weekend? Like all, all these little things matter. You right. know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, and, and so it's, I was just out in Europe for a while. And one of the things I was in like the Van Gogh museum or as, so one of the, I went to a whole bunch of different museums. I don't remember yeah. which one, but one yeah. of the ones that I was at was, was breaking down the movement of cubism, you know, as a, as an art form. Right. And what I found to be really interesting was that is that there was a progression with cubism. You know, it started <laughs> off as like this very reductionist, like put life in a box, you know, isolate it down. At first it was like, take all the life out of it and let's just break it down into almost like a graph chart. And it's just these dots. And you're like, yeah. what is that? It's like, that's a man playing with his child. You know, yeah. and as time went on, they're like, screw this noise. Like, we got to get some weird colors and some fluidity into this. And you start to see the angles rounding. So I think that reductionist perspective is kind of like a part of the evolution. Yeah, for sure. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so when you got into, you, how the heck did you get into like sleep? I, you've ta I don't want to talk about stuff that you've repeated over and over again. But it seems like sleep obviously isn't like, you're not like the lord of sleep. Like sleep is the only thing that matters. But somehow that became your, your thing. Like what is that? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean what really happened is that sleep was the only way that I was allowed to approach uh, the problem. Uh, or at least publicly approach the problem. So when I got back to the SEAL teams as their doc, um, you know, they were having a litany of problems that just, I mean, I couldn't under, I, I, I had no idea, right? Because um, it was something I'm sure you talk about in your show um, is that doctors are really good at recognizing and treating disease, but they know very little about health. And I was no different than any other doctor. I had not been taught anything about health. And none of these SEALs had diseases, but they all had these kind of same bits of problems. You know, they, they weren't, uh, you know, they weren't sleeping well, which didn't stand out to me immediately. Um, they were all using sleep drugs, which didn't stand out to me immediately. But they were having like, you know, low sex drive and uh, some of them actually had erectile dysfunction and they were having like, they felt moody, their motivation was low, their body composition was shifting, you know, they had more aches and pains than they, you know, than, uh, than they ever had. They felt fatigued all day, you know, lethargic, concentration issues, memory issues, and just none of this made sense for their age. I mean, yeah, they were, you know, there were SEALs who had been like 10 years of combat and like, yeah, that's rough on the body and that, you know, accelerates things. We would kind of expect that to cause some problems. Um, but, uh, it didn't really explain what they had going on. And, but when I did, you know, essentially what I did is I said, well, let's just test everything under the freaking sun and figure out like what, what's apparent, like, let's start somewhere. So, I mean, we knew we had the musculoskeletal stuff down on them, right? I had a great team for that. Um, so I just pulled, I started pulling serum and salivary and urine labs and just like looking at everything, just looking at everything. Um, and then that led me into sort of, you know, the alternative health fields, you know, where I started looking at health, uh, you know, instead of disease. Right. And, you know, I actually became a healthcare practitioner at this point is my argument. Right. right. Um, I actually started, um, you know, and what I guess one of my main messages that I tell people all the time is that you don't have to be broken to get better. Right. So exactly. these seals were coming in at all different levels of sort of suboptimal for them, which might've been fantastic, right? Like the way most of them could perform, I would love to be able to perform that well still. Right. right. But for them, that wasn't good performance. Right. And so they don't have disease. Uh, but I look at all these aberrant labs and so forth and I'm like, holy shit, you know, what's causing all this? I really don't know. And I, I started just, uh, I started down adrenal fatigue pathway, 
but when I started doing all these labs, I noticed that none of these guys had testosterone, man. Like they had like almost, I mean, almost off the chart low, uh, but they wouldn't be quite off the chart. So they might be 28 years old, right? And uh, they, uh, I, I mean, you've probably heard some stories like this. You, have you ever had any clients come in and tell you that like they saw... Like they saw a, uh, a an endocrinologist and they had a testosterone of two fifty three yeah. and they were like good to go. It's right? like a, it's like a fad almost. I think of like getting yeah. your test test checked and then you're like, right. oh, it's low. We need to do something about this right now. Let's right. get drugs. Right, right. So you know these endocrinologists are looking for disease and so their range is two hundred and fifty to eleven hundred. Now it's important for people to know that when you when you have a set of labs there's a normal quote unquote normal which is really should be called usual uh lab values right and these usual lab values are determined by some method it's not a random ass guess right so this is from framingham and so the the normal testosterone ranges that we have come from framingham uh which is a small town in massachusetts where we just studied people for a bunch of years and just observed we just kept drawing blood on them and observed them for like 35 years or 40 years or something like that. And the criteria for being included in normal testosterone was that you had to be 19 or older and have testicles. That was it. And then you were in the Check. normal range. Right. <laughs> so nailed it. <laughs> yeah, nailed it. Right? So who do you think had a testosterone of 250? You know, probably the 80 year old guy in the nursing home. And who do you think had the testosterone of 1100? It was the 19 year old, right? So when a 25 year old SEAL comes to my office and he has a total testosterone of 253, I'm like, that's not enough. Like, that ain't going to cut it. That, you know, that, that dog won't hunt. We need more on, you know, we need, if we're going to put 200 pounds of gear on this guy and have him jump over walls and kick in doors and shoot people, he probably needs more than that. Uh, but I'd send them into chronology and they go, well, he's good. He's in, he's in the normal range. And so, um, so I wanted to repair testosterone and I wanted to repair growth hormone or IGF one. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. 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 Insulin like growth factor or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Insulin like growth factor one, which is, is, the it's the secondary mark. It's the, it's a serum marker that we can track from growth hormone, right? So, uh, we can't just test so much growth hormone, but your IGF-1 level tells us how much growth hormone you secrete. So their growth hormone was low, their testosterone was low, their fasting insulin was high, their fasting blood glucose was high, their inflammatory markers were high, their thyroid levels were low. Um, and so I, I was like, the, I'm like, this is a hormone issue, right? It's a hormone issue, it's a hormone. And I wanted to, I wanted to treat it like a hormone issue, but they wouldn't let me treat it like a hormone issue because it's the military. Right. And they, and I had to practice medicine like an academic you know, medical provider. Um, and so, you know, I, I, you know, found, I figured out some clever ways to kind of get around that system and help guys out. Uh, but really the, the point of it was that, um, it, it occurred to me probably after like the 100th guy, that's how, that's how smart I am. Like the 100th <laughs> guy comes in my office and says that he uses Ambien to sleep every night. And I'm like, huh, you know, it kind of seems like a lot of people have said that. And then I go back to the records and like, Every single guy's like, I sleep with Ambien every night. And if you know any SEALs or, you know, type A people, like one's good, two's better, three's right. fantastic, four's great. And then, you know, a couple of cocktails and I'll sleep like a rock. Um, and then they sleep like three or four hours and they can't sleep anymore. Um, and so I started lecturing to the SEALs and saying, hey, when you have 
when you don't get stages three and four of sleep, that's where you're secreting all of your growth hormone and all your testosterone. So if you aren't, if you're using sleep aids and you're messing with your sleep architecture, then you're messing with your hormones. And then I get everybody's attention and they're like, oh, so I became the sleep guy. Like everybody came to talk to me about the sleep and what I was doing, what I, you know, the primary thing I did, although I was treating people, uh, I was giving guys some supplementation to help them, uh, you know, improve their testosterone situation. I was doing some adrenal things. I was, I was doing some things to help people with adrenal recovery, but I really just started focusing on getting good guys to sleep well. Um, and I had guys who, with not a single, not a single pharmaceutical involved, got rid of their uh, alcohol and Ambien when they slept, and their free testosterone went up five hundred percent. Like I had one guy who went super physiologic at like 40, he was probably 45 years old and his total testosterone went up to like 1153 or something, um, you know, doing no pharmaceuticals whatsoever, just doing over the counter supplements and getting great sleep and, you know, doing his, his exercise well. So, um, so it was really kind of a sleight of hand. It was just sort of a tricky way for me to be able to talk to the SEALs. They weren't going to let me stand up there and go, oh, you know, here, testosterone, and you can improve testosterone by this way and this way and this way. They weren't going to let me do that, but they'll let me talk about sleep. And then when they come in my office, I'll tell them, okay, here's all the things we could do. Like, you know, then I could be you know, straight up with them. Yeah. Um, and then that just led to more lecture gigs on sleep and more lecture gigs on sleep, and more lecture right. gigs on sleep. But then, you know, I, uh, you know, Fortunately, like I, I, uh, I kept studying and I mean, I studied to this day, I, I probably read a couple of hours every day on, on sleep. Um, you know, it, it's still my passion. And the more I learn about it, the more passionate I am about it. I'm just, uh, the more I learn about it, the more fascinated I am that it's literally controlling everything. Like every, like every part of your body, every part of your emotions, like there's, there's not an area of your life that it doesn't touch. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a, really crappy sales pitch if I want to make any money off of it. But, you know, uh, it's really hard to monetize that. But I think it's the most important message and the most overlooked message. And so I've just allowed myself to become the sleep guy. Uh, that That's who I am now. Okay, whatever. Right. You know, when I work with my clients, I get to do everything. But uh, most people want to interview me or, you know, have me lecture with stuff about sleep. And that's cool. Like, yeah, yeah. It's a good start. Right. Yeah, it's 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 funny you talk about like erectile dysfunction and all these different little markers and all of them are canaries in the coal mine for something big potentially right. cardiovascular right. disease or something serious. It's like right. I just can't get my dick up. It's like well, I think there's I think this could be serious. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and we probably, can, probably something to be concerned about there. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's like we can we can kind of use a, sh a shotgun approach almost by using some of these really obvious healthcare, just easy low hanging fruit, sleeping, eating organic food, relationships, exercise. Yeah. It's like yeah. <laughs> improving your life, improving your lifestyle is considered quackery, right? right it's like exactly. if I'm a doc telling somebody to improve it. You're a quack. Like you're not practicing medicine. Take right. it. You know. You're, you're banned from wearing a white coat. I'm like, great. Well, that's why I don't wear a white coat anymore. Right. I'm banned from it because I talk about lifestyle and other quackery like that. Right. You know, but to me, it's like to me, the guy pushing the pharmaceuticals is the quack, right? Because if if you come to me and you say, hey, I'm having X, Y, and Z. Say you come to me with a litany of problems that I, you know, that, that I just told you the SEALs have. Um, and, and there's more to it, but that, you know, that's sort of like the, the, the big markers there. So what would a general practitioner do? What would a general doctor do? They would give you Viagra for your erectile dysfunction, right? Sounds fun. They, 
they would give you uh, Prozac or something like that for your mood. They would give you Ambien to help you sleep. Uh, they would give you, um, you know, let's see, uh, what, what uh, anti-inflammatories for your high inflammatory markers. And then they might put you, you know, and then maybe, just maybe, very unlikely, they'd put you on a thyroid medication. So, um, so then, I mean, all right, let's, let's follow that logic a little bit backwards, right? Let's take that logic backwards. Do you really think the guy's ambient gland is standing is failing right, exactly. him? Is, is his Prozac? Is it you know he he has a Viagra deficiency? You think right. that's why he has erectile dysfunction at twenty eight years old because he doesn't have enough Viagra in his system? Right. Like that's quackery. Like yeah, yeah. that's stupid. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You should be looking for the root of the problem. But you know, in fairness to the doctors, I mean, it's the system set up against them. Like you know, they get five or six minutes with the patient, and that's it. And like, you know, I was taught in medical school, I was taught how to tell people to quit giving me their problems. I was literally like we were trained on and scripted on when somebody comes in and starts giving you multiple problems, you just have to say, what's the most important, what's the most important problem that you were want worked on today that I can help you with today. And then once we get through today, you can make another appointment, you can wait another three months and then you can sit out in my waiting room for another four hours reading old magazines. And then, you know, we'll talk about one more problem and, you know, before you die, maybe we'll talk about all of your problems. Um, and it's, you know, the system is just crap and, and that's, yeah, I mean, that that's like, that. I don't remember the exact percentage, something like 60% or 50% of people that are in hospital beds that check themselves into hospitals are there for some type of psychobiological, endo, immunal, yeah. you know, but it starts yeah. with the psycho, you know, yeah. and it's like, all right, cool. These people are coming here for these issues in relation to the way that they feel overall, because that affects everything, right? Yeah. And then you're trained as a doctor to give them six minutes. Right, yeah. and it's like, all right, let's yeah. get down the root of something here. I don't care if it's yeah. the actual thing, but let's let's get a conclusion here so we can uh, diagnose and get them heck out of here. Yeah, and that yeah. is changing. I think I don't want to be the guy that's always harping. Oh, this is but I think yeah. people are starting to get it. But it I, is, I think I think important. the guys I think the guys are getting it. The question is, you know, is the education keeping up with it? You know, right? It's like, are these doctors going to be prepared? Because I can tell you, you know, this. The, something glaringly obvious for my medical education was any education whatsoever on nutrition, sleep, stress mitigation, or exercise. Yeah. I'm a, you know, I'm supposed to be the gatekeeper of health, right? As, as a doctor. And I don't know like the four major pillars of health. I don't know. I don't have any, I mean, I do obviously now, but like when I came out of medical school, I didn't like, um, I mean, I, I know a bunch of stuff because I've been reading nutrition books my whole life and I've been, you know, a, a competitive athlete and read all sorts of exercise physiology books and, you know, training and stuff my whole life. And I've been a personal trainer and all that shit. But most doctors come out of medical school, you know, they go, they go to college and they go to medical school and then they come out and like they know whatever they learned in medical school. And that's all they're going to tell you because that's all they know. Right. And uh, and that's drugs. And uh, so even if the doctors like I, I have friends who are doctors um, who are really savvy on this, but still work in in you know, very traditional hospital settings or, you know, uh, clinical settings. And they're just like, you know, I, I can't get the message across and the short length of time that I have. And then I'll just see them again a few months later and they'll look exactly the same and I'll ask them what they're doing. And, you know, they're doing exactly what they were doing. And then I say, well, you know, what about the conversation we had? And well, I tried that, but I, would, I wasn't sure if it was this one thing or the other thing. And so I just went back to doing what I've always done. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah. it, so the tough thing is, is when you're around, I got this quote from somebody else, but it's like, if, if you're around a bunch of zombies, don't let them convince you it's not okay to wake up. You know, right. it's like, it's, right, right. it's slow. And that's not how they said it. I said it much worse, you know, but it, it's, yeah. it's like, we, I think what we need to do is need to think about raising what normal is, you know? So if, if our markers, they are indicators of health are are that of someone that's not all that, you know, up to their optimal potential, I think we need to readjust the system. Yeah, yeah. So there's a there, there's a guy who's a, who's a he's a buddy of mine. I've kind of I've kind of lost touch with him, but um, he, he's a he's a guy I know pretty well. Um, brilliant uh, older doc, probably I'd say in his mid to late sixties now. He was the head of NIH, uh, some division of NIH wellness. I, I can't remember what the title of the, but he was the head of NIH for nineteen years. So he's one year from retirement, and he walked away from the job and he walked away from the job for this reason because after um you know after 19 years of you know the ansel keys type nutritional advice and you know kind of the the pharmaceutical based medicine program he wanted to know what normal looked like right he wanted to know what optimal looked like what, what does a really healthy person look like yeah. Lab-wise, serum-wise, urine, salivary, DEXA scan, whatever we could do. Like he wanted to see what would that look like, and his grant got denied. His first time he'd ever had a grant denied. He's written hundreds of grants, right? I mean, he's a department head of, of NIH. Has written thousands of grants, probably. First time it's ever got denied. So he goes and he talks to him, and they and he says, you know, um, why are you denying this? Uh, why are you de- why are you denying this uh, grant? And they said, well, you have to look at NIH charter. And it very specifically says that NIH will study disease. We don't study health. And so he's like, so you're not going to do this because it's health and not disease. And they're like, yeah. And he's like, I'm done. So he resigned from that job. And, you know, he does similar stuff to what I do now. Like, you know, but obviously he's been doing it much longer. So he does, you know, just sort of overall health wellness kind of kind of uh, practice now. And um it, you know, it's, it's frustrating. I mean, look at, I mean, look at, I don't, I don't know if you, if you've been following any of the stuff between like uh, Nina Teicholz and, and uh, David, David Katz or Mike Katz, whatever that, that uh, Yale doctor is. Uh, um, I mean, they, you know, the, the nutritional world is at each other's throats right now about, you know, the, the dietary guidelines that have just come out and you have all these people who, who are, Quoting all the modern science, you know, all the, like all the stuff done in the last 10 years shows conclusively that, you know, high carbohydrate diets are worse for you than high fat diets and saturated, you know, in, you know, uh, vegetable oil is in margarine are way worse for you than, you know, animal fats and all. And, and so they're at each other's throats as though there's a debate. Right. You know, right? and there there is no debate. Like if you look at the literature objectively, there's no debate. But there's there's literature to support anything you want to say. Like I could tell you right now, like, hey, Aaron, guess what? I just uh, I just read this study that um, you know drinking coffee in the morning it's going to make you die three years younger or something. And I I could find a study for that if I really wanted to. Like I I yeah. could dig I could dig through enough crap and I could find a study for it. So. Um, I, I think that's kind of what's going on. There's just all these academic missions that it, have been overseeing policy. I mean, can you imagine them having to say to all the nutritionists, all you know, all the ADA you know graduates in America, oh, everything we taught for the last thirty years is exactly wrong. Uh, we need you need to come back. We're going to re- reteach you. It's exactly the opposite of, of what we used to say. You know. Yeah. I think that's the I think that's the hurdle, really. You know, that's why I prefer to dabble in movement because there's not a lot of 
argument around mechanics of movement in, <laughs> in comparison to nutrition. You know, yeah. it's like, it's, I yeah. mean, there's argument in anything, of course, but yeah. it, it's, 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 it's like with nutrition, it's exactly like you're saying. If you type in the keyboard, blah, 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 you will find the answer repeating what you just typed in because everyone has right. an answer for it. Right, right. You know, and so with that, yeah. something, I, I, a path I'd like to go down because I think all these paths, like we've, we've talked about this stuff, but what about how things like sleep and nutrition are affecting us almost to the degree of like you could just as a fun word call it brainwashing you know like of, of, of our as we're walking through again the zombie metaphor as we're walking through a reality we feel like we're normal you know but right. maybe what your baseline of normal you've never felt what your true expression of yourself could be you yeah know? and i i just yeah. how does how does I, sleep I, I i think you would probably have like the best experience with that, uh, probably a more salient, uh, you know, maybe personal story than I would like, I can imagine that in, in your line of work, you would have seen somebody who has really, really crappy mobility and has no idea they have crappy mobility right, until you correct their mobility. And then they're like, I mean, does that happen to you like every day or every day? Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, that's that, great. I, 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 I could just imagine that, like, um, because, you know, even uh, even me as like a lifelong athlete, when I really started learning about mobility, I realized I didn't have very good mobility. And I thought I did like, hey, man, I've been I've been competing in all these sports for all these years, but I didn't have good mobility at all sorts of shortcomings. Um And, you know, sleep and nutrition are you know definitely the same way. Um, I, I think. You know, I, th I think the big deal with sleep or, or the big deal with nutrition really is is um, <clears throat> the refined carbohydrates and the, you know, the highly processed foods. Those are, you know, those are literally addictive. Um, and so, you know, they they lead to sort of this wanting um, and this you know, sort of need cycle that comes about pretty frequently. And people, you know, need to have their McDonald's like, you know, every three or four hours because, um, you know, they've had this huge blood glucose spike up and down and now they're crashing again they need something else and and i think that's that's pretty common and almost everybody can identify with that and most people don't recognize they're in that cycle until you break that cycle i think that's that's a pretty clear metaphor that people would get with sleep what most people don't realize with sleep though um you have, have you heard you know me or other people talk about um comparing sleep to blood alcohol yeah yeah absolutely yeah so um there's there's tons of research basically where we sleep adapt people, which means that we we catch them up on their sleep deficit and then we test them on anything you want to choose. Right. It can be cognitive reactionary, you know, reaction time. It can be um, speed, strength, probably mobility. I don't know if they've done that, but just about in any metric you could possibly imagine. We test them on it and we call that their baseline. And then the next night we sleep deprive them by two hours and we say. Um, you know, do the test again and they do worse on the test. But then we also surveyed them afterwards and say, <clears throat> how do you think you did? Right. And they'll say, I did worse. I, I, I'm tired. I didn't get enough sleep. I felt like crap. So I did worse. And then the next night, you know, we do the same thing and they'll go get the same results. And then the next night, same results, same sort of survey. But somewhere around, somewhere between days three and four, the vast majority of people will say, I have completely adapted to the six hours of sleep. And I feel normal. I feel right. like I'm fine. And I think I did as well as I've ever done. Yeah. 
And you go, nope, you didn't. Look, here's the data. You're still getting worse. And they don't believe you. Um, and they've extrapolated this data out. Um, I have this great chart. Um, and I, I think it's uh, I think it's from uh, NIH. It's a little granular. So I'm, I'm trying to, uh, for years, I've been meaning to get a, bit, a better version of it. But um, it, it plots out that that exact thing that I just taught you, that I just taught you. And it, it had these people's performance. And it measured it out over 30 days. Um, and uh, some people they let keep sleeping eight hours, and then some slept six hours, and some slept four hours. And the remarkable thing is that if you go eleven days in a row on six hours of sleep, you perform exactly as though you haven't been awake for twenty-four hours, like right on par. Is wow. if you? I'm sorry. Is if you've been awake for twenty-four hours Jeez, consecutive that's... hours, which is the blood alcohol comparison of that is uh, that's a point one blood alcohol level. So you're, you're performing as though you're drunk. And that's 11 consecutive nights on six hours of sleep. How many people do you think done that? You, you know anybody who's done that? Myself. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Like all of us. Like, right. we've all done. The interesting thing is it doesn't go away. 22 days later, you perform as though you haven't slept for 48 hours. Jeez. But the person's self-assessment is that they're fine and <laughs> they're doing well. Huh. Um, and it's really, really hard to convince people to sleep. The SEALs were actually my easiest group. I thought they were going to be my toughest, right? But they actually ended up being my easiest group because all I had to mention was, you know, testosterone and growth hormone and, and, and thyroid and insulin levels and how that affects their anabolic activity. And I'm like, hell yeah, I'm sold, man. Like whatever's going to make me bigger, better and faster and stronger. I'm, Just I'm say down. testosterone, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, all right, we're on. Like, we, right. like you, you had me at testosterone. Right. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, but I get in with all these executives, man, and especially, I mean, if you look at like the New York City kind of crowd, you know, or the Silicon Valley kind of crowd, like these people are just obsessive about work. And they honestly believe that they have to work 20 hours a day or 18 hours a day. And that like me, me telling them to sleep eight hours a night is on par with me telling them they need to sacrifice one of their kids if they want to be healthy, right? right. Like they are so resistant to it. Um, and it's actually the biggest screening, uh, biggest part of the screening of being my client is a, a big long questionnaire about your willingness to change sleep habits because um, I, I just don't work with people who aren't willing to do that. Right. Um, but I mean, I, I think to, you know, to your point, um, uh, not only do people just are completely unaware of what it feels like to sleep normally again, they lose that self-awareness. Um, but there's also just like this social and professional stigma against, you know, sleeping right. too much and this pressure to like always be on and always be cranking and always be in. Um, and when I finally convinced these guys to do it, I, I swear to you, like after two or three weeks of sleeping eight hours a night, they say, I don't know what the hell I was thinking. I'm so sorry I ever doubted you. I am never going back to that way of life again. I don't care what happens. I will let my I will let my company collapse before I give up my sleep again. Yeah. And and they feel like just like you know your mobility guys feel, or just like yeah. the people who change their diet feel. Um, but people just aren't nearly as willing to try. It. I can tell. I you know if I if I sold a freaking thirty day uh, weight loss challenge. I, sell millions of those, man. People buy those all, all day from me, right? I could, I could pump that out at a speech and, you know, uh, you know, try to get everybody on a little board to communicate and everybody be on board. Yeah, let's do it. Right. If I did the same thing for sleep, yeah, 
ten percent of the people would take me up on it. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm gonna wander way outside of my depth, which I think I'm kind of notorious for doing. But luckily, I have people like you to usually bring me back. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, as I was kind of like steeping in your work and just doing some research into sleep and impact and like in relation to military, in relation to school, in relation to business, all these places. Uh, again, the the brainwashing thing I find interesting because uh, sleep deprivation has been used throughout history as a means of brainwashing, torture. right? And torture and torture, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, yeah. and so you get into this hypnotic, you know, lucid dreaming state. Life all of a sudden isn't quite as grounded as it was when you're well yeah. adapted, well slept, and you're so more su- you're more suggestible. So my curiosity is the 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 PTSD that you know X amount. I forget the percentage. A high percentage of people that go through any type of combat end up coming back with, and then something like three or four percent of just normal civilians just have PTSD for whatever reason i wonder if there's some degree of brainwashing that we don't even realize it and we're torturing ourselves and putting ourselves through these same tactics and then putting ourselves through something that is changing the layers in our brain a little bit absolutely so you're 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 straight on you didn't get out of your depth at all so (laughs) (laughs) score yourself two bonus Boom! And you should you should do a mic drop and walk out. Be, Mike's too uh, expensive. <laughs> I don't got that kind of money. Um, so uh, you, you know, here's here's my theory, and you know, I'm I'm not a conspiracist theory kind of dude, um, but uh, I would say the largest systematic brainwashing system we have going there that was repetitive or redundant. Um, okay. uh, the largest systematic brainwashing uh, tool and organization in America is our school systems. So we have known forever. There was a paper written in 1901 when America was leading the world in education. Um, and they had some high, high amaka academian, um, you know, do research as to why they thought America was winning. And he basically came back and said that as long as America continued to start their schools at 9.30 in the morning instead of 7.30 in the morning like the rest of the world was doing, we'd always win because they're wasting all of these educational dollars and you know, for the first two hours, they're just essentially pissing it away, right? Because right. um, kids aren't ready to learn, especially adolescents. You know, younger kids, you can make the argument, but once you get in junior high, high school, no question about it. The research is, I mean, there's no controversy to the research whatsoever. It's been around for decades. There's been organizations lobbying the Congress, lobbying, you know, independent school districts, lobbying everybody. They've done research on it. They've tested it on schools and compared it against schools. They didn't change, you know, the kids perform better, behave better, feel happier, have more relationships. Their school, there's every freaking sports team in the school gets, has the best season that it's ever had. Like, it's just unbelievable. I mean, that. You know, and, and everybody knows the answer to that. Nobody is standing up there arguing and saying, no, we aren't going to make these changes because we don't believe in the science. They say we're not going to make these changes because of the logistical and financial implications of doing that, right. of having to rearrange the buses and all this stuff. So that's the beginning of the brainwashing system. Then, of course, you know, school is the beginning of the brainwashing system in a lot of other fashions, right? And just sort of the American um, ideal of, you know, and, and it's really all formed sort of during the industrial era. 
era where, you know, people were factory workers and you went in and you, you did whatever you were supposed to do or, you know, your secretary or whatever, and you just had your one old job, but, you know, you were efficient and you were on time and you, you know, and you went through school and you learned how to be like a little social robot and be compliant with the system. Um, and then you, you know, you graduated out and you went to a job and now, you know, that, that continues and the school thing continues. And I see my kids suffer with it and it, I mean, it pisses me off. Like I, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a sleep specialist and I do everything I can to get my kids adequate sleep, but the way the school system is set up and extracurriculars are set up, they just simply can't get adequate sleep, uh, plenty of the time. So, I mean, I think you're straight on with that brainwashing system. So I think that sleep deprivation begins then. Now, something we honestly don't know the answer to, and this sounds far-fetched um, and maybe you know a little woo-woo, um, we don't know how long you hold on to a sleep debt. So if you, if you sleep deprive yourself all during college and then you sleep, just say fairly normal, not excessively, you know, not extra long, but you just sleep fairly normal for 10 years, uh, will you have paid back that sleep debt from college? Yeah. We don't know the answer to that. Um, and I... And what the evidence suggests and the research that we have done is that you probably don't pay that debt back until you deliberately pay that debt back. And I think we could have this amazing, amazing awakening to this brainwashed system that we're running around in. And and let's let's face it, the corporate culture takes full advantage of the high school and college culture and grad school culture that's you know, pushing that same thing. You're like, you should be working around the clock. If you really want this brass ring, you know, you need to, you need to, you know, hit that, hit, you know, hit, hit the little wheel faster, you know, hamster boy. And, uh, and you know, get, get this brass ring and get this brass ring, get this brass ring. And it's always about the next brass ring. And, um, and it's always about destroying yourself to do that because it's for the betterment of whatever organization you're working with. So I think like the best tool we have, like to have, a full awakening, the exact opposite of the zombie uh, uh, apocalypse. Apocalypse. Uh, <laughs> on that word. I'm, I'm wicked smart today. Yeah. Um, uh, would be to get everybody to sleep adapt. If we got everybody to do that sleep adaptation, and, and here's the problem. Here's the, I mean, here's the reason it's not realistic. Um, so the studies I was telling you about where we slept adapt people before we started testing them. Yeah. Well, um, most of those are done. Well, I mean, those started being done, you know, 70, 80 years ago in World War II bunkers. And the, the original one was called the Bunker Trial. Mm. And they put people in a cold or, you know, fairly cool room, like, you know, mid 60s room with a bed and a toilet. And that was it. Nothing else in the room. No lights. There are no windows. Completely black, 14 hours a day. Mm. And then they let them out for 10 hours a day, let them do whatever the hell they wanted to do came back 14 hours a day, do it again. So when they do this, the average person sleeps 12 and a half hours uh, when they go into a 14 hour, you know, cold dark room where there's no stimulus and there's nothing to wake them up. They sleep 12 and a half hours on average for the first couple of weeks. And then it kind of starts slowly dwindling down until they're sleeping on average seven and a half hours a night is where it, is where it averages out seven and a half plus or minus 30 minutes is really where it averages out a lot a lot to be a lot dependent upon how much activity you're doing and how intense the activity you're doing during the day whether you're there plus or minus um but how many people have a freaking month to 
sleep adapt themselves where they're going to literally turn off their life for 14 hours a day. Right. Most, most people can't do that. I mean, most of the volunteers were college students, right? I mean, cause they're the only ones who, you know, probably the only ones that researchers could afford, but also like the only ones who kind of have that luxury in their life. It's like, all right, I got nothing going on like summer break of college, you know, I'll do a month of this. But if we did that, man, I think everybody would just wake up and be you know, like, you know, <laughs> just flipping off their bosses and their That's, business and going, I'm not doing this anymore. Like right. <laughs> we need to straighten it. And I, and I think the bosses and the management themselves would get it and be like, all right, like we're really doing ourselves a disservice. And, and you know, the, the other side of it is that like there's tons of research that shows that if you deprive yourself of an hour of sleep, you'll lose about an hour and a half of productivity during the day because you'll be cognitively slower and you'll make more errors and your concentration will be worse. So, it's a negative sum game, man. You're, uh, but it's it's all social stigma and, like you said, brainwashing and programming programming that's starting at freaking five years old. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. five years old. Yeah, it's that's it's Abe Lincoln sharpening his axe for four hours or six hours yeah. or whatever that you know. If I had eight hours, I would use whatever whatever yeah. time frame it is. You know, have you ever seen the movie uh, My Dinner with uh, Edgar? I think it's Edgar. I think so. Oh mm. my God! What an important film. Um, so one of the thing, one of the the excerpts from that, which I might put in the intro here, is he he relates modern day industrial cities to modern day concentration camps, and what he's what he says in that is uh, that essentially it's we are as opposed to having, you know, the wardens being paid by Hitler or whatever it is, we're actually all a part of the game and we're keeping ourselves <laughs> inside of that. And he says, you know, how many people that are living in this kind of, in this rat race are saying like, you know, in the next two years, I'm going to get out of here. Five years, I'm out of here. Right, and right. they never, ever leave. And I wonder if there's some potential, again, I don't want to go too deep down this rabbit hole, but I just have a feeling that like you're saying, if those people were more well-slept, well-nutritioned and well-relationshiped and well yeah. moved i bet they would have a little bit more maybe freedom to say you know what screw this noise like i really don't want to be in this box yeah i mean it, I, I never thought of this before but we, we you just brought up uh, a concept uh, that that is kind of related to things i've thought about before but i mean it, you know suppose we just opened up like a dozen uh of these sleep adapting camps right nice. um and you know, we had the bedrooms totally set up and we had, uh, you know, we, we had plenty of smart people there to help with sleep hygiene and whatever sleep problems they're having and, you know, counseling and, um, you know, CBT, whatever, whatever we needed to get these guys sleeping well and we get everybody sleeping well. And then there's 10 hours that they're out of their room every day. We have little educational classes, right? And you, and you take this, you know, you do this thing out on, you know, somewhere, you know, a hundred acres, uh, you know, with some nice terrain and you take people out on, on hikes every day and get them back out in the nature, get them in tuned with the way the, the, you know, the planet really is, or, right. you know, the planet used to be. Yeah. Um, and then you, uh, you know, and then you teach them during the day, you know, not only teach them about health and nutrition, but you teach them about the, you know, you give them success stories and ideas of how people got out of the rat race and how people, right. you know, pull themselves out of it. Um, I think that'd be really powerful. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I told you I live between two houses and my house in, in Texas is actually halfway in between Austin and uh, New Braunfels. So it's in a really, I, I'm sorry, it's halfway in between Texas and New Braunfels. <laughs> he, was, he was sharp the day we saw him. Um, Get some uh, sleep, dog! <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
maybe maybe I haven't caught up on my calorie restriction. Yet. Um, uh, halfway in between Austin and San Antonio is a little town called New Braunfels. Um, and it's about a hundred thousand people, uh, spread out over a very big area. So it's really easy to get like an acre, two acres, three acres, uh, around your house. There's lots of like trails where you can just get on and start walking and you can just walk as long as you wanted to and probably never see another person. Um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, the, there's some hustle and bustle. I mean, there's a freeway that comes through there. So there's some hustle and bustle and some strip malls and whatever, but for the most part, like it, it's a just a completely different world and a completely different feeling. And every time I'm there, I'm just I'm dreading coming back to San Diego, which most people in America would go, "Are you crazy? Like San Diego is the perfect place." I'm like, "No, I I don't like this many people around me. I don't like this yeah. much, you know, traffic and competition." And and really what you know, really what it is when you're when you're living in a constant whether you're living in a concentration camp formally, like you say, or you're living in a you know, a self-made concentration camp. What, I mean, what makes it a concentration camp is that you're competing for resources, that there's limited resources and you're competing for them. You're competing for limited jobs. You're competing for spots in private schools for your kids. You're competing for a, a big enough space on the freeway for your car to get to work on time. You're right. competing to get through the grocery store line fast enough to get your kids, you know, dinner before, you know, like all of this crap. Um, you're, you're competing for resources all the time. And I just don't know that that's a necessary part of the human experience, man. I mean, I, I don't think hunter gatherers probably experienced anything like that. Like, you know, there were, there are plenty of animals probably. And, you know, when, when, uh, when food was scarce, I'm sure, you know, food was scarce for everybody. And it was just kind of a part of life and you sucked it up. You went, you went through that part. And when food was abundant, everybody, you know, partied and ate it up and, you know, made wine out of, uh, fermented grapes and all that i'm sure yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah i think there's something really crucially valuable and again it's tough because you can't sell it but getting out into the woods into the ocean somewhere where you're not you don't have your cell phone on and even if it was on you wouldn't get service you know right. completely disconnecting from that grid yeah. and going out and reconnecting with what is your nature you know there, yeah. there there's a really interesting <laughs> correlation in relation to uh locusts when they turn when they come from they, they all start off as grasshoppers and they're, they're you need to have this certain degree of perturbation i think it's like four i saw a youtube video about it there's like a guy stroking i was, the, I was gonna ask you how the hell you knew <laughs> there's, there's a guy stroking Stroking, stroking the grasshoppers. I don't know what he was stroking, but <laughs> if, if he does it for about four hours. I think it's what it was, which the guy is hilarious. Uh, all of a sudden, you see this mutation come out, and it turns into a mother freaking locust. It becomes a cannibal. It completely changes its personality. Fact check me on this, please, everyone. You know, but yeah. I, I think it's a very interesting analogy when you look when you go out to a farm and you're just like, "Hey, neighbor, how's it going?" You go to a city, it's like, "I don't give a shit. I got to go. I got the thing." Yeah. Da, 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 da. And people, you're in my way. yeah, and people <laughs> literally, way. people go. are literally. You can literally tell where somebody is dem demographically or how populated their city is by how fast they talk, by how right. fast they move. Yeah, kind of like I'm talking right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I I was having uh, some conversation back and forth with one, one of my friends over social media the other day. I was supposed to be doing this panel in New York, and apparently they re they replaced me on the panel, and they just never bothered to tell me that they replaced me on the panel, and so uh, I I had to find out through like the announcement of this panel, and uh, I was like, I said to her, uh, and she lives in New York, and I just said I I said you know I. 
it, it honestly doesn't surprise me. It's not it's not a unique experience for me in New York. Like that, that's just kind of the way it seems to go. And I, when I right. deal with people out there, and she's like, "Yep, like uh, I live here, and that's the way it is all the time." Like nobody really like they're interested. They're interested in you for about twenty seconds, and then whether or not you can help them, and if you can, it's like smell you yeah like they're gone um and uh again like i i don't know any place i I can't think of any place in the world where people are you know competing more than they are there i mean that like their life is all about competition and and not to mention just how incredibly unhealthy all that stress is around them even if they're not a stressful person i don't care if they're freaking meditating 10 hours a day that city vibrates that entire city vibrates there's always traffic noise there are always sirens there's always too many people everywhere you go you're like there's always there's always dangers there's always offensive odors like like it is not like it is not a healthy place to live and i i it's it's part of that brainwashing game that you talk about is the only logical explanation for why people fight to live there and right. go through all that crap. Like, I just don't get it. Right. And, get it. and right now there's probably like, you know, a hundred people in New York saying like, you're an asshole Aaron. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I, know. I probably don't know what I'm doing. That's okay. I'm, I'm off. I'm off the favored list of New York at this point, but right. you know, <laughs> What there's like 40 million people there, so like all I need is like 10,000 people to, right. to like me, and I'm good, <laughs> right? Exactly. So, uh, it's not often that I get to talk to someone that has such a, a pretty robust history, and as like with the seals and athletics, and you know, doctor, and all this really fantastic attributes. I'm curious. What do you think that a person that goes through a program like, you know, like SEAL training, what are they able to get that a normal civilian might not be able to tap into that maybe we're not necessarily thinking about? Is there anything that you think that's like, yeah, like you just can't get that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think most of the, you know, most of the lessons that you could articulate from that, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Jocko Willink. Uh, it's coming on the show. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Oh. So Jocko, obviously, he, he has a book on on uh, basically applying you know, the SEAL ethos and principles and the types of things that you learn from being in an organization like that to business life and your own life and uh, you know creating personal power through discipline and kind of all the stuff that being a seal is about um but i i think sort of the um like anything you can learn you can learn things uh conceptually you can learn things academically but some things have to be practically experienced um so there there's always going to be a component of that in there as far as um you know the people who want to you know, really sort of maybe embody that warrior spirit or something. I, I think that's something you probably really have to experience. You can't just read about it. Like you, you kind of have to get in some sort of tribe. And, you know, that could be um, freaking Spartan races or something. Exactly. Like it doesn't have to be SEAL training. But um, I, I, I would say that the one lesson that you get from the SEAL teams that I don't think you could get many places. It would probably be, it would probably only be an analogous training programs to that, you know, something like, um, you know, becoming a green beret or, or, uh, you know, Delta force guy or, you know, other special forces, um, the air forces, uh, PJs. And, um, what, I mean, the, the most empowering thing. And in fact, the, the reason I'm a doctor, the reason I even had, um, the sack to try to be a doctor is because I'd been through SEAL training. And the, and the one thing that I did learn from SEAL training is that 
anything really is possible. Like that little right. American hope dream that you were, that was spun to you as a kid that nobody believes anymore. It's true. Anything really is possible. That doesn't mean that there's not a hellacious price to pay if you want to make that possible. And what you learn in SEAL teams is that you really can do anything, but you should really sort of measure all of that out and figure out what they, what the cost of doing that is. And if that's still worth it for you, then do it. But, um, I literally came out of the SEAL team thinking I could do anything. Like I could do anything I wanted to do. And I'm a high school dropout, right? I started getting D's and F's in uh, third third grade and, you know, you know, failed out of high school, got a GED, joined the Navy, terrible student my whole life, thought I was stupid, uh, you know, just could never perform academically. I mean, uh, I, I have a reading disorder that I learned about when I was in medical school, <laughs> um, you know, that I got diagnosed then, uh, a little late in that stage. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I would say that's, that's the one thing out of there that I, I don't know how else you could get that. Um, it would, because there's so many times, not only in SEAL training, I mean, SEAL training itself, um, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of fun. Like, you know, I mean, it's really, it's obviously, it's obviously really hard. Um, and, and, and you push yourself, um, as far as you could push yourself, but then the instructors push you even further than you ever thought that you could possibly be pushed. I mean, I clearly remember, um, times in, in SEAL training thinking I was going to die. Like, the, like my heart, my heart's going to explode or something like I, I just can't keep going. I'm going to die, but I'm, that's how I'm going out. Right. Cause I'm not quitting. So I'm, I'm going to die and I'm just kind of waiting to die. Like I'm just running around any minute now. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to, you know, my heart's going to explode and it'll all be over. Um, and then my heart doesn't explode and I, you know, I survive and I keep going and the next time that's a little easier. And, um, and you do that so many times that's, you know, that's one big lesson is that you realize your capabilities are probably tenfold what you think they are. Um, you know, even if you're, not in great shape right now. And I'm not saying it's a good idea to, you know, be 40 pounds overweight right now and say, well, hell with it. I'm going to be just like a seal and I'm just going to start running ultra marathons tomorrow. Like, yes, you, you, that probably could be done, but I wouldn't recommend that as a smart way. Again, think about paying the price. Um, but what, but then once you get out of seal training and you get into the seal teams themselves and you start, uh, having to plan missions and, um, and actually, you know, logistically do stuff out in the world with, I mean, without training cells around you and ambulances following you and stuff, like, there's no safety net. Like you're, you're going out to do this for real. Yeah. And, uh, it seems impossible. Like just if somebody told you, Hey, here's what we're planning on doing. You go, are you stupid? Like, there's no way that can be done. And then you slowly figure out how that can be done. And then you go, Oh, well, okay. I guess it can be done. And then you do it and you're like, well, that could be done. And the next time you do something, even further beyond what you thought was possible and further and further. And, and, um, and those, those lessons I think just have to be that you have to be like truly experienced to where you like, you feel that and you actually, you, you know, that becomes part of who you are. Yeah. My, my civilian pansy perspective on that would be that, that maybe, uh, with creativity, and music, I think music is a potential, which by the way, I know it's 1130 and you, and you got to go. So we'll, we'll wrap this thing up right now. Uh, but 
I the other day I went out. This is ridiculous. Don't judge me, please. I went out and I was I was uh, I wanted to get like get my move I, on. I started judging you oh, the second the right. second the computer came on. Of like, course, don't, don't worry about it. Oh, good. So, but I, I went out. and I wanted to get my move on, and uh, I try to be a little bit more kind of different with my with my movement, kind of dynamic, ballistic, just strange. And so I went out into the woods, intentionally got myself kind of lost. Not lost enough that I was going to get really lost, but like kind of lost. I live in Bend, Oregon, so it's like we you can get proper lost and was imagining that I was doing some kind of like military training thing. And so I was running behind trees. I was tucking and rolling. My shirt was off. So I was getting all sorts of pine needles and stuff. And the type of training that you get from that is so dramatically different than just running on a linear trail for the whole time. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that we could bring some of those lessons. And then music is the other thing. Music's been used as a as a, a cue to instigate, you know, war or whatever it is for since since war existed. So I yeah. think that you can take on that warrior spirit still, even though you're not going to, you know, be carrying a gun necessarily. Right, right, right. Yeah. And um, and 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 interestingly, like you uh, wanted one of the sleep mitigation tools that I that I have the seals do and when they're you know when they have to be sleep deprived and sometimes they just do and they're going to have to go out and do a mission and they're sleep deprived. Not only do you put on bright lights, but you put on like really angry, loud music, right? right. And you, get, and you uh, one thing it stimulates your adrenals, but the other thing, like you're talking about, is that it stimulates your psyche. That it puts your psyche in that mindset of like, you know, something like M and M's to like collapse kind of thing. It's just right. like I'm like I'm I'm in this, like I'm locked in, uh, and uh, you know, totally crank. I I think that's true, and I think that um, I, you know, it's it's really hard to fool yourself and do something. Um, like to say, I'm going to be spontaneous with my movement. <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of a hard thing to do. Right. Um, but uh, I, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I, I, you know, I think that, you know, the keys to, uh, to really, you know, really sort of optimizing not only your, your physical endurance and your strength and your mobility, but just like your ability to kind of tie all that together and like, exactly. and be a functional, uh, be a functional human. Um you know, uh, I I think that uh, you know that that's that's an invaluable an invaluable tool. And in so, and again, that's one of my problems with San Diego. Like, I, I that's not going to happen unless I want to roll down the street and <laughs> jump over fire hydrants or something. Right, like uh, you're that guy. Yeah, right. uh, I'm 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 sure you're familiar with Erwan Lacour. Yeah, he's been on the show too. Oh, has he? I yeah. love Erwan. Good, nice. good, cool. good buddy of mine. I've I've uh, I've trained with him several times, and and it's always fascinating. And it uh, in in your, um, you know, your your little example reminded me uh, of, of the first time I met Erwan. We were in uh, we were doing a course in Hawaii. We were lecturing at the same symposium. Nice. Um, actually, uh, Surfer Surfer Agosa was there as well, and um, just like right outside the hotel on the beach, he just started. You know, throwing these little things together, going, you know, if, if you know, there's only one reason to jump, right? Like you're going to jump from one place to another place. So why just stand here and jump rope, or why just stand here and jump up on a box, right? Like jump, jump from something to something else. And so, like he just, you know, did all these things to make that progressively more challenging. And then, um, you know, and then as as part of you know, sort of the the movement uh, cardio type stuff, it was, you know, laying on your back and like 
you know, scooting under some really, some really low, you know, uh, barrier that he had, you know, that you could knock over and then you do the same thing on your front and then you'd go in the water and then you'd be back in the sand. And, you know, actually a lot of the same stuff we did in this field training (laughs) kind of of reminded me of buds a little bit, but, uh, it was amazing to me. I thought like, how much fun is this? Like, this is so much more fun than going down to the hotel gym and like, you know, doing, yeah, you know, I wouldn't do a treadmill or anything like that anyways, but, um, you know, but the lifting weights or, you know, just kind of the typical stuff and not that that stuff doesn't have its place, but I mean, you really do got to keep it, keep it mixed up, man. And wrapping it back to the sleep. And I promise we're done, uh, but wrapping it back to the sleep thing, it's so much more neurologically taxing to go through these creative movements that you yeah. haven't been exposed to before. And when you yeah. go to a different country, it's like, all I did was drink little cups of coffee and try to learn Italian all day, you know? Yeah. But you, after four hours, you were just exasperated. You were yeah, busted, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know? And so like, that's a similar concept. I think that we can start getting into, if we start really flexing all of our potential, I think inevitably we will sleep better, but we're so hooked on jacking ourselves up, going through these movements that aren't challenging enough, and then we're all wired at the end of the day because we want to fight. Right, right. And, and you know, uh, the, there's a few components of that that stand out to me. One is that, you know, predictable movement, doesn't, like you say, doesn't really challenge the body. I mean, you can you can progress the intensity and the weight, but like, the, you know, the movement of a treadmill is the movement of a treadmill forever and forever and forever. And it's never going to be any difference. And it's never going to be super taxing on your body. Um, you know, and it's never going to be super taxing on your physiology it, other than just the intensity you use on it. Um, but going back to what we talked about earlier with, you know, the body not truly being systems that the body is everything, right? Like uh, everything matters um, down to how you're moving during the day. That matters just as much as what you're eating or um, and then, you know, if you're doing things that you aren't familiar with, what are you doing? You're, you're concentrating on what you're doing. So you're being in the moment, which is what people really suck at. People are really, really terrible at being like in the right now and thinking only about what they're doing. When I used to do a lot of rock climbing, my favorite thing about rock climbing is that I would sit there for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes trying to figure out how I was going to get my left foot from here to here. Like, yeah. and that's, and that was the only thought going through my head. Like, you know, I can move my fingers here. I can do this. And it was just like, it's, you know, a little, a little, you know, crossword puzzle of like trying to move myself around to where I could get my foot there. Yeah. Um, and you come away from that after a few hours of that and you're like, you feel like you've been meditating or something, but you also feel exhausted um, because uh, you know, as you say, like, uh, not only using your body in unique ways, um, you're, you know, you're going to challenge the fuel systems and fuel partitioning of your body. You're going to produce more ATP. You're going to produce more ADP, AMP, you know, AMP, and then eventually adenosine. Same thing, challenging your mind and doing something unique with your mind. You're going to, you're going to burn up more neurological power and you're going to produce more adenosine. One of the key factors for, um, going to sleep, what we call sleep pressure, which creates that drive to make you feel like, Oh, I've got to go to sleep is adenosine. Mm. So if you don't do anything and you just sit around and click the remote all day, you're not building up any adenosine and there's no, there's no big surprise that you can't go to sleep. Right. Um, it, uh, there, there's this local, um, resort that has a, a weight loss center and they wanted me to come in and consult on some things. And I was talking to them and I, I, uh, you know, I offered my services in helping them sort of set up, uh, the, the appropriate sleep environment and giving them some sleep lectures. And they're like, well, actually we don't have any problem with sleep. And I was like, what? 
really? And he goes, yeah, no problem whatsoever. Um, but what happens is, you know, people come to this course and it's, uh, I think it's either three or four weeks of, you know, just like fat camp kind of thing. Right. And they, they take away all your electronic devices and you do, you know, health, health and wellness sort of lectures all day. And then you do a ton of exercising, just like ton of movement. Um, you know, if you're really fit, they, you know, they drive the hell out of you. If you're not that fit, they do, you know, a ton of movement, a ton of teaching or whatever, but these people are just exhausted at the end of every day and they go to bed and they sleep nine hours, no problem. And they get up and you know, they go into it. So I, you know, I, I always tell people that, um, the number one factor for getting good sleep is prioritizing sleep and believing that you need sleep. And yeah. until, until you believe that it doesn't, it, you're wasting your time reading anything else about sleep or the physiology or the health risk or any of that other stuff until like you actually believe sleep's the most important thing I can do, or at least one of the most important things that I can do. Don't waste your time with man. Like you're, you're, you're not doing anything. And so these people go there, not necessarily thinking about sleep, but at the end of the day, I guarantee you the only thing they care about is sleep and they're, they aren't thinking about anything else and they don't care about anything else. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Cool, yeah. man. That was, that was super fun. We, we, we went, we went in on that one. Yeah. How, how do people find you and get, get involved with your, with your work and you have a supplement and you got, how do you find you? <laughs> Yeah, I, get, I, get, I have a supplement uh, that we're changing the name of. Uh, I, it's it's the supplement. Um, it's just a concoction of over-the-counter uh, supplements that I, I came up with to help the seals get off of Ambien uh, to improve their sleep and all the stuff we talked about earlier. Um, and that's at Sleep Cocktails with an S. Uh, the seals named it the Doc Doc parsley's cocktail so i just named it the sleep cocktail when i sold it turns out to be a terrible marketing name uh so we're renaming it it's going to be uh sleep remedy um and it, then it's going to live on my site it's on my site now so if you just go to docparsley.com you can find it off my site but it'll the actual um you know the actual supplement page itself will live on doc parsley here in about three weeks um and then uh everything i do from here on out uh, i've got a you know, I actually have some people helping me now. I'm not doing everything on my own. And so, um, every, everything will be, um, uh, consolidated onto the doc parsley platform. I have probably, you know, I don't know, a hundred podcasts out there and all sorts of videos and a Ted talk and, um, you know, I don't know, guest blogs and guest videos and, online lecture material and all sorts of stuff. Uh, in, I guess just get your Google foo on if you want to, if you want to go deeper than what's on my site, there's not a, there's not a ton on my site. Um, but it, it'll, it'll be pretty robust. And, uh, when we launch it, it's going to have uh, a lot more than we have right now. Cool. Sweet, man. Yeah. Thanks so much. That was great. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. it fun, Ho fun podcast. Yeah. Hopefully get to see you in Austin and or, uh, San Diego, both places. I, oh, I you're going to the paleo effects. You're going to pay effects. Yeah. Are you are you going to the low carb thing out here in San Diego? Or, or uh, I wasn't. Else? I wasn't. I wasn't planning on it. Okay. But yeah, you never know. Uh, yeah, there's a low carb, uh, low, low carb, high fat um, convention here. I think in a couple of weeks or something. Oh, I yeah, was I, I was going to it, but I'm not going to it. Um, but yeah, if you're out in San Diego, man, give me give me a buzz and yeah, we'll sure. uh, we'll go. We'll go climb that tree they have in San Diego. Sweet. It's in, 
it, there's a tree in Coronado you can climb. Perfect, man. <laughs> and same same thing. If you make it up to Bend, uh, I know Bend's kind of in the middle middle of nowhere, but uh, a lot of trees to climb out it's, here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful place. You could you could do moving that like and crazy out there, man. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Align Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I greatly appreciate your comments and your shares in iTunes. They determine the ranking and the visibility of the show, and they make me smile. So I look forward to reading those guys. Be sure to check out the website, aligntherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you can find my blog. You can find this podcast, more information about the topics and the, and the uh, guests that we've had on the show. You can find hundreds of absolutely free instructional videos on self-care, functional movement, how to get strong, how to get fast, how to get exactly what you want out of your body as well. Be sure to check out the self-care kit where it is as small enough to fit underneath the seat in your car. And it's like a physical therapist, a massage therapist, all wrapped up into one package. I know you guys are going to love the website. I know you guys are going to get a lot of value out of it. And I look forward to hearing your comments. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening and remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast. If the information has been helpful, please share and leave your comments in iTunes. Aaron personally reads each one and it makes all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world. Align Podcast.